So before you're seated, turn to someone and say, you serve an awesome God. And if you don't know Jesus yet as your Savior, that was a prophecy that's going to come true today in your life. Oh, that was great. That was just so well put together, but so spiritual. I got to tell you how much I'm enjoying this. Uh, last church that I was an interim pastor, a transition pastor, uh, they had no worship team. And I had to play guitar and import singers and people from here and there. And we're just hoping there'd be enough people to sing a song on Sundays. This is amazing. Let's, let's thank God for these people. And all of you that are part of this. When I got in here this morning, they were already up on this uh, platform. And, I mean, they'd obviously been here for a while because everything was, was going and they were, they were singing uh, one of those songs. And the moment I walked in that side door, I felt the presence of God on worship practice. And I go downstairs and there's half a dozen people just letting it go in faith, believing God for this morning. And uh, that's the way to start a Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, we are going to go to the Gospel of John today. The Gospel of John. And we're going we're gonna to camp out there, take a walk through there. How many were here last week or watched online? Anybody that... Just give me... Okay, just hands up. I know you, you don't want to tell me you're in love, but uh, tell me if you were here last week. Just, uh, okay, so this is really a companion message to last week. And last week, Jesus met a guy by the pool of Bethesda who had been laying there for 38 years, and he asked him, does he want to get well? And we said, why would you ask someone a question like that? And then Jesus spoke a word, and his life changed. Today, we're going to look at another man whom Jesus encountered along the way, and Jesus spoke a word to him, and his life changed. In both cases... They had to respond to what Jesus said. So we'll get there in a few moments, but I want to ask you a question. Let's get up the first slide there, please. The first slide for today. Is seeing, there's a statement, seeing is believing. Is that true or false? Seeing is believing. Okay. In the days of AI and high editing and software, we used to be able to believe it if we saw it in, in a photo. Then we're like Photoshop came along. Anybody old enough to remember when that first happened? Whoa. Now everything's Photoshopped, right? This is not really me today. You're seeing a hologram with the Photoshop. and No. Uh, one day that'll be like that perhaps. But then it got to the point now where even videos can be all edited. And, and you, you have to almost do some forensic work to know if it's real. Is seeing is seeing seeing is believing? I'm not sure. Well, let's look at a historical perspective on this. <clears throat> Next slide. Back in the 60s, the Russians were the first ones to put a man in space. Back then, they were the Soviet Union, USSR. They put a man in space, and I think it was all pre-planned. He uh, looked out the window of his space capsule and said. Uh, those words, Vulcan, yet, there's no God. He looked out and says, I don't see God. So he, he felt that was proof. 
Not long after, the Americans put a man in space, and this is what he said when they went up. Next slide, please. To look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible, John Glenn told reporters. It just strengthens my faith. Two men, same view, first time in history, people had seen that. One says, well, I can't see God. The other says, wow, there has to be a God. So the eyes of our body don't always tell us the truth. We can hallucinate. We can be tired. We can see double. We, but we always filter it through what we believe. There's bias. But the eyes of our heart can see God. So how does faith come? How does it come? Next slide. Well, there's some famous scriptures, and we need to honor the word and walk by these two famous scriptures. We're not going to land there. We're just on our way to our passage. And you don't have to read these, but if you look there on the slide, is Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the Bible makes it clear, faith doesn't come by seeing. And when people say, show me, prove it to me. If there's a God Let them come down and strike me with a lightning bolt. You know what I say when people say that? I say, you should thank God right now that he has patience. (laughs) Or else you might get that answer right now. (laughs) He's really patient with you right now. We had a man get saved in the church I pastored that happened to him. He thought God had just struck him. He felt electricity through his body and he jumped up in the middle of the service and started to pray. And I thought, now, what's happening here? And he just repented of all his sins and got saved. I asked him afterwards, what? He says, when you were worshiping, an electric shock went through my body, and I thought, God's about to kill me. I better get saved now. (laughs) Now, I don't mind that as an altar call, (laughs) but I want to tell you, I never pray that to happen to you. But God has patience. And you know, the Jews... We're always asking for a sign. And in John chapter 2, they're saying, show us a miraculous sign. They wanted to see it before they would believe it. Meanwhile, the Greeks were all about wisdom and philosophy and logic. And I got to tell you, there's no one in the world that has sat down, stroking their chin, and reasoned themselves into believing that there is a God in heaven who sent his son to die for their sins. Because that's an unreasonable proposition. And that's why we, you and I, need to tell that story. Because only when we hear that story can faith begin. There's no reason in the world for people who haven't heard the gospel to believe that. But faith begins when we hear Now, I interviewed through a double translation a young lady who was 15 years old when I was in rural Bangladesh about 10 years ago. And she was from a Hindu village. And all her life, she'd been told, worship that idol and give them food. And that idol never moved. And one day, she was eight or nine years old, and she said in her heart, it can't be God. And when she was 11, she said, "I I just can't do this. And she knew in her heart this was not the way she was created. And then, somehow, in God's mercy, an evangelist came through her village. 
someone who knew Jesus, the moment she heard the story, she said, that's the truth. That was when she was 11 years old. She was kicked out of her village. She had to be protected by family or she would have been beaten. Out of fear. If you don't worship our God, something bad will happen. It's all fear-based. I met her when she was 15. And the presence of God came on her and filled her. I said, what are you going to do? Her name was Charna. What are you going to do, Charna? She says, I'm going back to my village. And she says, God told me everyone's going to come to the Lord. And we commissioned her to go back. She'd already led a bunch to the Lord at 15. But you see what I'm saying? You can be the most earnest, God-seeking person in the area. But until you hear the message, faith can't be born. And man, you have the precious eternal seed. You know the message. I would almost guarantee you there's somebody in your regular circle of touch They may have heard of church. They may have gone to church. But they really don't understand the gospel message. And if there just was an opportunity to tell them, maybe the light bulb would go on that moment. Now we have to be respectful. Like I wasn't when I first got saved. I was in high school. I thought everybody better get saved tomorrow. In music class, I had all these tracks and I stuffed them in everybody's instrument and the trumpets and down the tuba Seats. I actually had to be called to the office and told, settle down, young man. Because I know Jesus and you better right now. I settled down a little. Hopefully not too much. But we need to hear the gospel, right? We need to hear the word. That's how faith begins. So faith comes by hearing. Secondly, next slide. It says that uh, faith is, in Hebrews 11, 1, Faith is the evidence of something you don't see. So it can actually be more real, more determinative, more directive than the things you see. When you know that you know that you know. The old uh, preacher from Texas, Larry Lee, used to say, I know it in my knower. I have a knower down there. (laughs) And I know it in my knower. What he meant is in my spirit. There's something deeper than my brain and my physical eyes. Where there's that knowing. I always say that this generation, and I'm, I'm talking to you if you're under 30 now. You all need, we all need a now I know experience. This can't be your parents' religion. Put God to the test. Say if you're real, fill me. And experience him. So, Hebrews 1 tells us that hearing is believing. And believing is seeing. So we actually flip the script. Not seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. And when we believe, God will bring the circumstances around to agree. Eventually. I know some of you have been praying a long time. And in case you missed it, I prayed for my brother for 50 years. And less than a year ago, last April, he called me. Out of the blue, unexpected. And said, I need Jesus. I've watched your life for 50 years. It's time. And got saved right on the phone after 50 years. Yeah. So, and I had just stood up in public three weeks before in another country. And said, I've been praying for 50 years. Haven't seen a thing, but I believe it. It's settled. It's going to happen. And that shifts something in the atmosphere. It rattles the enemy. Puts him in panic mode and releases heaven's angels on your behalf. 
I'm preaching myself happy before I even get to the text here today. So let's go to the text, John chapter 9. Actually, let's go to the next slide because we're going to introduce it. So many conversations with Jesus changed the way people saw themselves and others. And you just look through the gospel of John here. In John chapter 1, Nathaniel, Jesus had a word of knowledge. And he called him. And it was the word of knowledge, not Jesus' appearance. Or that he, he had hair even more impressive than, than uh, Otto, you know. The flowing locks that we all see. And the beard, right? We picture him just even, even a bigger beard than you have there, brother. But it wasn't his appearance. It was the words he spoke. And faith was born in his heart. We have John chapter 2 when the, the wine servers at the wedding. And uh, they heard his word. Go and fill up the jugs with water. Are you crazy? What are you going to do? You're going to throw something in there and pretend it's wine because they're drunk already? What are you doing? But they heard him speak. His mother said, do whatever he tells you. Wow. And when you pray the whatever prayer, a miracle's on its way. When you say, Jesus, I'll do whatever you say. When you get to that place, you're at surrender, not just commitment. You're at surrender. Those two aren't the same. And when you say, I'll do whatever he says, even if it seems a little weird, I'll do it, and I'll see what happens. They obeyed the word, and they saw the wine. See, the hearing came first, because hearing is believing, and believing creates seeing. Now, if you uh, go on to Nicodemus... He had heard Jesus, but he, he still couldn't figure it out. And Jesus had to explain it to him. Because Nicodemus, his ears were so full of religion. His mind was so full of religion. His ears were plugged. And Jesus had to deconstruct. You know, there's a lot of talk about deconstructing our faith. Well, we need some of our religion deconstructed. So real faith can, can be born in our hearts. And that's what happened in Nicodemus. Then the woman at the well, she heard the word of Jesus, word of knowledge, described her life, and she became a believer just like that, and went and became an evangelist in her own village. The lame man at the pool, we covered that in depth last week. Do you see the pattern here? Not enough just to see Jesus, even in the flesh. You have to hear his word, realize it's from God, and respond. And then life starts to change. Are you with me on this? Let's read the word. John chapter 9. We'll put the scriptures up there for you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging said, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. See? Even when you see a miracle, some people don't believe. Even when you see it right in front of your eyes, some people don't believe. But those who had heard Jesus believed. Not just those who saw the miracle. 
But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. We're going to keep going. Pick it up at verse 24. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man. So now the religious leaders are upset. Because Jesus is getting attention for doing something they couldn't do. You know, envy and jealousy never ends well, does it? And so, the second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, which means be honest. We know this man's a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I once was blind and now I see. (laughs) Then they asked him, what did he do to you? They must have heard, right? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Talk about poking the bear here. (laughs) Then they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Then the man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Their religious belief about your physical disabilities were a sign of of sin evidence that your parents or somebody sinned and God was cursing you that was so strong in the culture they couldn't even change their mind when there was a physical miracle right in front of them wow that's what bad religion and bad tradition can do to you it can lock the door to receiving Jesus and I'm asking today for you to reconsider. If, if you've been hurt or burned or you are sick of religion, you grew up in a very do and don't, you know, don't drink or smoke or chew or hang around with those who do. If you grew up with those rules and uh, you're here for whatever reason, maybe you're looking again at faith or maybe you're here because someone you love wanted you here, I want to ask you, to consider opening the door. And, and, and I really do apologize for, for church leaders who are heavy, heavy on the do's and don'ts. It's important to put fences and boundaries on our, our behavior. But not until we've experienced the one who loves us like nobody else. Not until our hearts have been changed. If we just got people fenced in, we don't have people with changed lives. I don't want to be a wild dog on a leash. I want to be the one who my master loves because I'll do anything he says. Then, then I don't need that choke chain around my neck because I just love being with him and he loves being with me. So that's where we're going today. We're going for the heart of it. But look at John chapter 9 again. Um, actually, I want to put up the slide, okay? The next slide, if you can do that. And it is slide number 7. The disciples' vision was obscured by tradition and religion because here they are with the miracle worker. 
This is apparently after things like a lame man walking and many other miracles. And they're walking along one day in the old Jerusalem area. And there's a man born blind. But this was beyond their faith. How do, you, how do we know he was born blind? How did they know? It's very, very specific and it's part of the story. And it's mentioned more than once. Born blind. Well, some scholars believe because of that and the way Jesus healed him that he actually didn't have eyeballs. Have you seen someone without eyeballs and the, and the, and the kind of the flat, flatness and, and the sockets a bit inward and hollow? Like you look at that person and go, oh, they don't even have eyes. So either something so uh, disfigured or empty made anyone know this guy's never seen. He's, he's just not someone who had an accident and now his vision is heavily blurred. I'm going to go with the, he didn't even have eyeballs. And so it was obvious to anyone who saw. He, he'd, he'd never seen light before. He'd never, he wasn't one of those people that had shades of, of light but couldn't make out figures. This is like, he doesn't have the capacity. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the equipment to be able to translate light into brain pulses. It's not there. And it pains me when we look at others that are less fortunate than us and the first thing we do is get judgmental. Pass that guy on the street. <laughs> you know, there are shelters. Oh, an ad another addict. Okay. I don't know, like, let's just, let's just not lead with that, Okay. Even if you're technically correct and you find that out. Let's always lead with love. Let's always start there. And it was the biggest fail to date in the ministry of Jesus. That the people he was discipling that would take over his ministry and win the world. And do miracles would look at such a man and say, ha, what's wrong with him? And Jesus wanted to do something that was what's considered a sign miracle but also absolutely slay their religious thinking forever. Now, I work in a country in missions where that thinking is still there. And in, in some of the religions, if you were born in a low caste, it's because you sinned in a previous life. So when you pass that person on the street, and I have, and people, I'm saying, why isn't anybody helping them? Well, they deserve it. They must have sinned in their previous life and come back lower. I'm like, are you kidding me? What an ingenious device of the devil to get us to not care for people. Absolutely untrue. I was in a place called the Leprosy Mission. And I loved to see what was on the wall. We were ministering to people who were new believers. And there's this big poster saying that people don't have leprosy or skin decisions because, or conditions because they've sinned. And... Let's love everyone. And I thought, are we still having to say this to people in the 21st century? But we may not do that with physical disabilities, but we do judge people. And uh, we need to take that judgment and the religion out of the equation and look at them and say, Jesus, what would you like to do for that person? And Jesus says this 
was allowed by God so he could do something powerful. And that's my default position with every sick person until I get proved different. And I'm not even concerned on my percentage of how many people get healed. I just want more. But I'm going to say, God wants to do something powerful here. And I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop asking. And I'm not going to stop repeating this till somebody says amen. amen. Thank you very much. You must say amen or the sermon gets longer and longer and longer. Okay, next point. He says, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night's coming when no one can work. Well, I'm in the world. I'm the light of the world. So the next thing he does, and let's think of this now from the, um, we can just leave that slide up there, but let's think of this now from the, the blind man's position, okay? He's, he heard Jesus, and he's kind of sitting there. So he's just sitting there. Is, is this the man we've heard about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And Jesus comes along. Obviously, he wants to see. And he's like, and so Jesus says, just wait a minute. I'm going to heal you. <gasps> What's he doing? <laughs> Do you know what the ground is like in these countries? Okay. It's the garbage can. So then... Jesus, is that you? What are you doing? It's a good thing he couldn't see at that point. Uh, I, I still can't see. Just tilt your head back there. They got to stay there for a moment. I'm just doing the thing I, I did back with Adam and Eve. Taking the mud of the ground. Turning it into something real. Okay, so just keep your head back for a moment. Okay, Jesus, when's it going to get, when am I going to see? Well, just, just before we get to that, I got one little thing here to do. I want you to go over to the pool of Siloam, go down in there and wash, and then come back. Ooh, it's that bad, is it? Did you make a mistake? You're going to try again? Now, this is ludicrous. The guy can't see. In order to see, go for a walk. Now, I want to put up the next slide there, the one that's, um, yeah, slide number eight or nine, the one with the picture of, of Siloam. In 2004, they found this pool. That's kind of what it would look like in Jesus' time. Do you see on the left? And they've excavated it. Just in 2004, they found it. Now, the pool of Bethesda was there when I went to Israel in 2001. But I was told then that Every, every street construction screw, uh, crew must have an archaeologist with them because every time they put a shovel in the ground in Israel, they find something. 30,000 archaeological sites in a tiny country like that. So they were digging a sewer and they came across the Pool of Siloam. And you can go Google it. There's these like 30 tight steps going down to the pool. It was originally from the time of Hezekiah when there was an aqueduct where where the enemy could come in. That's how David took Jerusalem initially. 
And then in the time of Hezekiah, the enemies of Israel tried to take it. So Hezekiah blocked it off and, and dug another underground spring and created the pool of Siloam. And so it was a public place where hundreds of people would come every day. It was like the main watering hole for that part of the city. And people would come down so it would be crowded. This, this is just an artist's view. It would be crowded. And it would be busy. And there would be steps going down. And here comes this guy. Did I get to the steps yet? Jesus, are you cruel? Why are you making this guy do that? What was Jesus thinking? I'll tell you, there's a couple of things. The pool means sent. When I do a work in your life, I'm also sending you to show what I have done to others. There is a come, there is an abide, and there is a go. And this man was called to go. And I have a theory that somebody helped him get to the pool. I think when you see someone who's a brand new believer and they really don't know the books of the Bible or this faith and they say things that are strange and you need to take their hand and lead them and help them with the love of Jesus. And I think the same disciples who had just judged this man then had to grab him, this man had to grab him by the hand, one on each side, and walk him down to that pool. They had to get down and get dirty. They had to take away all their prejudice and touch him, the sinner. They had to walk at his speed and guide him and take him down to the pool where he could wash. And they had to be this far away when they saw the mud turn into eyeballs. A creative miracle. Wow. The authority of that. And as he stands up and he can see, and, oh, I know you, I've heard your voice. Thank you for being with me. And he comes back, and the first thing that happens is people don't believe it. In this chapter, if you read the whole chapter, there's 10 verses of miracles and 30 verses of controversy. Three times the amount of controversy as miracles. I don't know if that's a godly ratio or not. But I'll tell you this. You're going to step out and do something for God. Somebody's not going to be happy. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, there you go again. You just go to Cuba because you want to get away from all the snow. <laughs> Can't use that one this year. Yeah, you just do that because of this. Yeah, you're just raising money. You want a free trip. So you do. Yeah. People are going to see it through their own bad filter. They're going to criticize you no matter what you do. You know, you're doing water wells in that country. Oh, yeah, you're just, you're just trying to be the savior. Like, no, I want them to not die. You're going to be judged. You're going to face opposition. The devil's going to be angry when you do something other than just believe in God and go to church. 
He's sending that man. He's sending you. He's sending me. Faith always requires action. Let's go to the next slide, please. I love this. Your seed faith springs to life when you do whatever he tells you. It starts with a word. It starts with a rhema, the spoken word. When you sense however it works for you in your life, when you sense God's telling me, I'm reading my Bible this morning, but I can't get George out of my mind. So I finally called George and say, George, I've just been praying for you this morning. I don't know why. And George says, how did you know it was the anniversary of my first wife's death? Now, George, in here, I'm just making all this up, okay? Just, I'm just saying, that happens to my wife at least once a year. She's amazing this way. She'll be reading the Bible, having her devotion. She'll get a name. She'll call them. It'll be their birthday. It'll be the anniversary. It'll be something. But when God speaks, it's like faith is conceived, but it's not born till you do something. And I mean this with all respect. We've had way too many miscarriages of faith. We felt good. We felt life. That baby's moving. Well, you better do something. Make sure that thing is born and learns to walk. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is fruitless. But faith without works is dead. They go together. Faith plus works. Faith, not, not faith plus works. Faith that works. It's faith, but faith always leads to works or it's not faith. And as you go, God's going to give you something to do. He's going to... He's going to give you that prompting. Now, let's, let's bring this home. Um, uh, next slide, please. I think there's a next slide. Is there or did I miss it? Maybe that's the last one. Okay. Uh, but there was, I wanted to say this. The person with the least vision had the most faith. In John chapter 9, there it is. The person with the least vision had the most faith. It's all about what you hear, and we need to learn to be a little bit quiet. We've got to carve out some space where we're just reading the Word or where our spirit's at rest. And let me give you an example of how this can work. <clears throat> years ago, about eight or nine years ago, uh, we were in South Africa because our eldest son married a South African lady, and so we uh, visited her family one Christmas. And it's a long way to go for Christmas. But I found out something. It's summer there in December. Wow, that was nice. So <clears throat> we were looking for a church service in, um, on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I can't remember. But it was close to New Year's. And uh, uh, we're looking for an evening service. And we couldn't find one. So we finally ended up at an outdoor restaurant. And we were saying, well, we'll just have our worship service here, the four of us. And, uh, and so the server came over, and um, I remember his name was Basil, B-A-S-I-L, and I know that means kingly, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him what his name means if he doesn't know, and I was thinking about this, but as we were ordering our lemonade, I, I just heard the Lord speak, I, just an insertional thought, uh, ask him what you can pray for. Pray, like pray for this man. And I thought, okay. So I, I used my, my, my little, my little uh, trick I use when I don't know people. I go, you know, 
God's given me this gift where he answers my prayers. <laughs> so whatever religion they are, <laughs> that's my opening statement. I say, you know, God's given me, he's given this, you, this gift too. I said, so if I could pray for you today, Basil, what's one prayer request that I could take and pray for? And he just put down his pad, his eyes locked on me, and he said, Sir, you don't understand. You don't know. I lost my wife and my family this year, like he meant through a, a divorce. I lost them. I can't see them. And, and just, just this morning, I guess it was New Year's Day, he said, just this morning I woke up and prayed for the first time in a long time and said, God, I can't take another year. My life has to change. And now you're, 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 you're asking me. And I said, yeah, he heard your prayer, Basil. And I'm here to help you through it. And so we went over to the bar that wasn't open yet. And there was nobody there except some servers. And we began to pray. And we just, you know, I pray like I pray in front of them or in front of you or in front of anyone else. And, and when we were done, I left him. I said, I'll be back tomorrow with our book. Because he wanted to know, you know, how he could get back with his family. I said, I got a book called Family Blessing. And I'm, I'm going to bring it to you. And you can read some of that. Thinking, I got to do something. I came back the next day. On a, and it was a Monday. And he saw me. And his eyes lit up. I gave him the book. And then he wouldn't leave me. I'm walking out to the parking lot. And he's going sideways beside me like this. Sir, sir. Just two days ago, I thought God didn't know me. I thought I was judged. I thought I was lonely for the rest of my life. And then, then you show up like an angel. You just showed up like an angel. And now, you know, like God's heard my prayer. And, you know, finally, bless you, man. Got in the car and never saw him again, of course. But it all came because I just heard a thought in my mind. Just a thought. You ought to pray for this guy. It's like, how do you start that? So that's what I say just to get a conversation going. You know what? I ended up being his visitation. He was asking for God to visit him. God, come and show me. And just a simple act of obedience, and I opened heaven over his life. With all respect. I mean, it was, it was all God. It was all the Holy Spirit. But I had to obey for that to happen. There's no such thing as small obedience. Just the littlest prompting, the smallest thing. You don't always see like a, a wow moment. But maybe it'll happen the next day when you're not even there. But maybe it's just one of a series that finally adds up and it tips that person over the edge and they become a Christian. That's up to God. You know, one man sows, another waters, another reaps. You don't always get to see the, the, you know, the, the ribbon and the ceremony at the end of it. But just obeying those little promptings can have big results. Do whatever he tells you. And on the way, water turns into wine. The water of you, in you, the rivers, the, the Holy Spirit that's in you is served up as wine in, the, in the, that metaphor of something that tastes good and people want when you serve it up. The miracle happens in the serving. The miracle happens in the giving. You can be someone else's visitation. Faith begins when God speaks. Faith bears fruit when we respond. 
Say it with me. Faith begins when God speaks. Say it with me, please. Faith begins when God speaks. But it doesn't bear fruit till you respond. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I didn't even expect you to say it. Way to go. I'm, uh, I'm about to leave uh, for these countries, and um, I thank you for the SOW prayers, not SOS prayers, <laughs> SOW, okay, safety, outpouring, and wisdom. But I'll re- I remember, you know, and, and it's, it's getting pretty easy these days. It's about my 30th, somewhere between 30 and 35 trips uh, to these countries, and but there was one time a few years ago when I was nervous to go. If I can, you know, uh, truth be told. And uh, ISIS sympathizers had showed up very close to where I was going to be staying. And they were starting to make threats to people, um, texting my friends saying, enjoy breakfast tomorrow, it'll be your last meal. How they got there... Their phone number, uh, there was lots of Facebook going on then, and people were talking about their faith. And so they started targeting some people, and uh, they actually raided a coffee shop and killed 17 people, very close to where I would go and have coffee with people. So all of a sudden, it got real. And I, I kind of was, and, and they targeted foreigners for the first time. They'd done this in a foreigner area of the Dhaka. So I thought, okay, I just need to sit down and count the cost here. First of all, am I ready to go? And am I sending these people to their death by telling them, go out and witness and share your faith? So it was a moment in time, um, and things have changed now. This, the, these people have been rooted out and sent out. So it's, it's, it's not like that now. It's not like that at all. But for about six months or a year, it was. Because the government in, in, in the country I'm going, they're very, very much against the radical, extreme jihadist type of uh, faith. So, I thought, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord, should I go? Yeah, and, and uh, the person I was supposed to go with, uh, their daughter was in the hospital. The person that was supposed to host me, his wife was in the hospital. And the hotel I usually stayed at, guest house, was closed. So I said, oh, well, this is a sign from the Lord. Don't just take circumstances, okay? That's for newbies and young Christians. If it's you, God, open the door. Or slam it in my face, you know? Yeah, okay. But how about hearing his voice? So, I said, Lord, should I go? And I heard him say, just go. So I thought, well, I need to do what the Apostle Paul did when he had a thorn in the flesh. Go back and pray again. (laughs) So I picked another day and I prayed again. I said, Lord, just check it in again. Should I go? And I heard him say, just go. The thought was, just go. Like, what are you asking? Don't even ask. So I thought, okay. Paul prayed three times. <laughs> I get my third shot at this. And I went back another day. You know, there's a couple weeks left. And I went to pray. And before I could say, Lord, should I just go? <laughs> I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth that was shouting about, okay, I'll go. And so after I heard the word, the word of the Lord, and I said, I'm going. I'm not going to cancel my flight. My friend calls. He says, my daughter's out of the hospital. I'm going. Oh, good. 
Guy over there said, oh, my wife's out of the hospital. I'll be with you. Where are you going to stay? I don't know. Find out. There's places. Got on the plane, got off the plane, got met by a Canadian who lives there, and he says, you will never believe it. Right beside my house, just opened up a guest house. It's perfectly private and safe, and I was their first guest. So they honored us with dinner and everything and protected us and had security and all the rest, and it was the easiest, safest trip I've ever been on. Yeah. So the Lord says, just go. It's going to be okay. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get somebody to do something ludicrous or foolish or, you know, step off the observation tower at CN Tower and go, God's going to save me, you know. Just jump. No, I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm saying that was a moment in time in the context of what God had already called me to do. But I was nervous. And I'm not a, really a fear-based person. But in that moment, I needed to hear from God. But when he tells you something, you can just do it. And if you've never done it before, look for someone who has the faith and can walk with you and hold your hand until you get to the pool. And know that in that obedience, you're going to see the world differently than you ever have before. That man was sent first to the pool and then to others. Stand with me, please. Come on back, worship team. Every go has a reward and a price. Every go has a prize and a price. And I want to tell you, the prize is always worth the price. Obedience is where it's at. And uh, we are going to see some miracles in this church family this year. I'm sure of that. God didn't bring me here, amen. God didn't bring me here to preach stuff like this just so we could say, that was a good service. No. I commission you in Jesus' name. If, if you want to experience something like this in your life, just close your eyes and show me by raising your hands in a way that's comfortable to the Lord as we pray together and come into agreement. If you say, Lord, I, I want to hear your voice and I'm going to obey, whatever that is, talking to the next door neighbor or praying for the person at Starbucks, whatever it is, if you're willing to just hear the prompting and do something about it, raise your hands with me while I pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, here we are, like Isaiah said, send me. Cleanse our our lips if we need them cleansed before we go out in your name. And Lord, whether we're ordering a lemonade at an outdoor patio or whether we're taking a flight over to an unreached people group, it's the same Lord, it's the same voice, it's the same obedience. We just want to hear what you're saying. We just want to know. We want our hearts at peace and we want to go. We want to know in our knower and we want to go where you say to go. We want to do what you say to do. And we want to we love everyone you say to love. Lord, as we go and we see someone in need, we give you permission this week to speak into our heart how we should respond. And we ask that we could be someone's visitation, that the words we speak would open heaven over their lives. I pray for every sick body here in the name of Jesus, and I curse every cancer, every disease, 
every condition that the doctors have made pronouncements over and we say you are not our Lord we respect you we 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 need your skill but we need our Lord's healing we're thankful for doctors but we look to Jesus we call for physical healing we call for family reconciliation in the name of Jesus because you are an awesome God you're an awesome God you're an awesome God is that what we got going here awesome God oh waymaker let's do that yeah let's sing this and then we'll dismiss you